privilege, <clears throat> the privilege to have with us uh, this morning Dr. David Smith, who is the senior pastor at Fairhaven Church in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, David uh, grew up on the mission field in Indonesia. His wife, uh, Kathy, grew up in Cambodia. They both grew up as missionary kids. Uh, he's a graduate of Naya College and Toccoa Falls College. He pastors one of our largest churches in the country. He is um, a former uh, professional soccer player. He's got a very interesting background. But he's uh, really a great visionary, a great leader, uh, a, a really, really good guy. He's one of my best buds, and I'm so glad we got him here this weekend. Would you welcome Dr. David Smith? Morning, Appleton. It's great to be with you. I'm telling you, uh, this is the second time I've been to Appleton Alliance, and it's just great to see all the things that are happening here with all your different ministries. So if you are a guest here, you're brand new, I just want to encourage you that you are at a great, great place. Um, Pastor Denny, of course, I'm biased, but Pastor Denny is an amazing leader, and God is doing great things in his life and Judy. And uh, don't you appreciate them as leaders here, those of you that are from Appleton? I mean, they're great. So he introduced me to these cheese curds. Like, we don't have this in Ohio. I mean, it's, a, it's the greatest thing. I mean, if I move to Wisconsin, it's going to be because of cheese curds. I mean, these things are amazing. We have these fries, fried cheese curds, and I've never had them before. And so I'm like, this is so unhealthy, but so awesome. And uh, so we had a great time together. It's great to be with you. I want to talk to you today about some necessary endings and some great beginnings. Because you know, if you've been in church for any length of time, you know the transformation, meaning that God does something in the inside of a human being, doesn't happen just because you know more. Like information doesn't equal transformation. Am I right? It's information plus application that equals transformation. In other words, you and I need to make some decisions in our lives, and we need to take a step towards things, and sometimes in our lives, what needs to happen is we need a necessary ending to some things in our lives uh, to give God an opportunity to do some great beginnings in our lives, and that's what I want to talk to you about today. In fact, let me put it another way, because I, I want you to learn this one thing that I have for you today from the book of Ruth and the story of Ruth, and that's this, that good things happen when bad things end. Make sense? Process that for just a little bit. Good things happen when bad things end. I want you to repeat it with me, and then throughout this message, uh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to say, good things happen when, and I'm going to look at you, and you respond when bad things end. Okay? So let's try it. All of us get together to say this uh, all together, and then, uh, and then we'll try it you know, in tandem here. Okay? So let's say it together. Good things Okay, that was about 30% of you. Nice job. Okay? <laughs> Uh, let's try it again. Everybody gets to play. This is like an 80s all-skate. Everybody remember the all-skate in the 1980s, right? So this is an all-skate. Everybody gets to skate, right? And so let's say it together because if you get this, you've got this whole message. Uh, I've got one point for you, and I'm going to add nine little points to it. But uh, this is the main thing I want to talk to you about today, um, which is pretty profound when you get the you know, understanding what God can really do. So let's say it together. Here we go. One more time. Good things. There you go. If you get that, you've got this message, right? And so throughout this message, I'm going to say good things happen when, and I'm going to look at you, and you respond when bad things end. I want to turn to Ruth chapter 1. I don't know if you brought a Bible with you or some device, um, but I'd love for you to turn with me. 
Um, it's a love story. So ladies, if you're looking for a love story, you might want to read four chapters. It's a pretty easy read, actually. Um, guys, uh, if you're not into a chick flick, but you want to you know, you be challenged, um, there's a guy in the story here. His name is Boaz. Um, what an amazing guy of how he treats a woman, how he treats Ruth. Um, spoiler alert, uh, boys and Ruth get married, actually. Um, and so it's a great, great story. And I started reading this story many, many months ago, and I thought, you know what, there is so much here um, that I thought I'd share it with you as I learned some things here in, in this story. And so what I'm going to actually do for you today is give you nine truths. So if you're a note-taker, you're going to love this day, right? I mean, this is perfect for you. If you're not a note-taker, it's okay. You don't have to worry about it. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to th listen to all these nine things that help us to understand that good things happen when... Yeah, you got it. So what I'm going to do is give you these nine truths, and I just want you to grab one, just one, because Naomi's story, Ruth's story, the story that we find in the Old Testament uh, is a great story. Let me read the first five verses for you, um, and then I'll tell the rest of the story in Ruth chapter one. Verse one, in the days when the judges ruled, we'll talk about that in a second. Pastor Denny actually was there the last two weeks, I understand, right, in Judges, so how crazy is that, that I didn't even know that until I got here, and, uh, and here it is. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judea, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. Sounds like a Star Wars movie. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Pause. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons, and they married Moabite women. Of course they did, because they were living in Bethlehem, and they moved to Moab. And they married Beth Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. That's the name of the book, right? And after they had lived there for about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Such a warm story for us this morning, right? About this lady, Naomi, who's got a husband, and they have two sons, and uh, her husband dies, and her two sons die, and they live in Moab, and uh, you know, all of a sudden they marry Moabite women, and then the two sons die. If you stop at verse 5, it's a pretty depressing story, actually, and you're probably wondering, what in the world can this say to me in my life? Well, you actually have to go on and read the story. I'm not going to read it for you, but I'm going to tell the story of what happens in chapter 1. Um, and again, I've spoiled it for you because Ruth, you know, later on finds a man named Boaz, and they, they get married and have a great life together, even though she lost her first husband. And so in this story, what we learn is nine truths about how you and I can understand that good things happen when? There you go. Here's truth number one. Living only for yourself always ends up badly. When you live only for yourself, it ends up badly. If you're here and you're married, okay, so let me talk to the married couples here for a minute. If you're here and you're married and you live your life selfishly, your marriage is not going to go very well. Am I right? Help me out here, guys. If we're selfish with our sports, and, and I'm an athlete, so I love sports, and, and if we're selfish with that, and you play softball five nights a week, that's a problem probably in your life, right? Ladies, if you're out you know, with your lady friends, and, and you're not home or not available or whatever it might be, I mean, that could be a real problem. 
Truth is, if you're single, even with your friends, if you're selfish and you live selfishly, it's not going to turn out very well. If you're in high school, you probably understand that because it's amazing how Facebook creates such envy. Am I right? Because it's only the highlight reels, right? You see about everybody's great life um, only on Facebook. And what we learn in this story, because the very first sentence in Ruth chapter 1 says, in the days when the judges ruled. Now, you know this if you've been here for the last two weeks, that Pastor Denny has been telling us that in the book of Judges are, are most, the craziest stories that you'll find in all of the Bible. I mean, they're nuts, crazy stories. Because it says in Judges that the people did what was right in their own eyes. In other words, it was a free-for-all. Everybody did whatever they wanted to do. There was no authority structure. You could just kind of do whatever you want. And you and I both know that when you live selfishly, it doesn't end up very well. In fact, that's why I use the word always. Living for yourself always ends badly. You think there's any reason why God would say to us that you need to love others, that you need to love unconditionally, that you need to be a person of selflessness in life? Because that's a fruit, or that's a symbol, or that's a sign, or that's a product of Jesus living inside of you, that you're a selfless person. So truth number one, if you live selfishly, it's, it's going to end up bad for you in your life. So this couple, Elimelech and Naomi, were living in Bethlehem. Bethlehem means the house of bread. If you're looking in your Bibles, remember I read for you, there was a famine in Bethlehem. And so Bethlehem, the house of bread, well, they ran out of bread. And so there's a famine that was going on there, and uh, this guy thought, I've got to take care of my family and my wife and my two sons, and I have four sons, and I've raised four sons. My youngest just graduated from high school, and uh, he's headed off to college. He's got a golf scholarship, and we are done. And so we've got an empty nest, and it's, it's really awesome. But my, my wife has helped me raise four sons. And ladies, agree with me, right? My wife is a saint. Am I right? She's a saint. And so these guys have two sons, uh, Kilion and Malon. And, uh, and so Elimelech, the husband, moves the whole family from Bethlehem to Moab. Now, why is that even important? Here's why it's important. Because God said, don't go to Moab. Because in Moab... There were people that lived there that were worshiping the god called Chemosh. Now, Chemosh is a god that probably you've never heard of, but uh, you may have heard of a mosh pit at a concert or something like that when somebody you know, is engaged in this stupid behavior. Um, that's called the mosh pit, and that actually comes from the god of Chemosh. Chemosh was half man, half goat, and they would build these huge statues, and they would worship this half man, half go a goat, and it was called Chemosh. And they would build a statue, and his hands would be out like this, and they would build a fire somewhere in his belly. They had this big hole, and they would build a fire, like a fireplace, in his belly, in this huge statue, and they would get it so hot until the hands of this god Chemosh, half man, half goat, uh, would get red hot, and then they would sacrifice children on it. They would sacrifice women on it, and even the elderly. I mean, pretty twisted, don't you think? And so God says, don't move to Moab. In fact, you can read it if you want to. It's in 1 Kings. I'll read it for you. Um, King Solomon, it says, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonites, and Hittites, 
and they were from other nations, which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because you will surely turn your hearts after their gods. And so God says, don't move to Moab because they worship the God of Chemosh. And if you move your family there, um, chances are your sons are going to marry their daughters. And apparently in the historical documents, the Moabite women were, I mean, like they were the catch. It was only 60 miles away. And so actually Israelites would actually go into Moab and try to find Moabite women because they were, I mean, they were like the catch. And so this man, Elimelech, takes his wife, Naomi, and they move into Moab, even though God says don't do that, because there was a famine. There was no bread in the house of bread. See, that's why Jesus calls himself the bread of life. See, everybody that heard that in the first century would have understand that, well, understood that, rather, because Jesus was born, help me out, Jesus was born in what city? Bethlehem, in the house of bread. And so they ran out of bread, there was a famine, so they moved to Moab, and God said, don't go to Moab, because chances are your sons are going to marry Moabite women. That's exactly what happens. We see that in the story. And here comes truth number two, if you want to write it down. Temptation always looks like the easy way out. Do you know that the easy way out in your life is to just give in to temptation? Did you know that? That's the easy way out. The hard way out is to make a decision in your life and to say, you know what, nope, I'm not going to be involved in that. Or, nope, I'm not going to be you know, involved in this. Or, I'm going to draw a line in my life and I'm not going to let that happen in my life. You just draw a line. It's a decision that you have to make, and yet it's a decision that God gives you the power to make. Do you realize that God will never come into your life and make changes that you don't even want? He'll never do that. God waits for you to say, I want to make a decision. I invite you into my life, and I want to take that step in my life. And uh, as you do, he gives you the strength to fight off all the temptations in your life. I mean, that's just the kind of God he is. That's amazing to me. The Bible tells us that he will not give us, that, the, that we will not have more temptation than we can handle, meaning that when you decide that you're going to draw a line and you're not going to be involved any longer, because every one of us has temptation. I don't care what age you are. If you're 18 or 80 or anywhere in between, every one of us faces temptation. And the temptation is different for each one of us. I mean, we have different kinds of temptation. I suffer from one, you suffer from one, we suffer from one, and the reality is you and I do not have to give in to the temptation. Because good things happen when, right? And so one of the truths that we learn here is that the temptations were there for this man to bring his family. Well, so what happens is they bring the family into, um, you know, into uh, Moab there, and uh, the father dies, and the two sons die, and now all that's left are the women. Now I'm going to show you a little graphic just to make sure it's all clear here, all the characters. Like from Israel, there's Elimelech and Naomi, and then there's Malon and Kilion. Those are the two sons. In Moab, it's Orpah and Ruth. So Orpah and Ruth marry the two sons, and then all of a sudden, um, the, the guys die. The husband dies, uh, the two sons die, and uh, all of a sudden, Naomi, the, the wife, starts to blame God. You can read it right there in the story. It's in verse 12 if you've got a Bible open, or if it's in verse 21. There's two verses, and she starts blaming God. And it's really interesting to read this. Because help me out here, Appleton. Whose fault is it that they moved to Moab? God's fault or Elimelech's fault? Help me out. Who is it? Elimelech, right? 
And so it's not, you know, it's not God's fault here. And yet it's so easy in our lives. Here comes truth number three, if you're writing this down, and that's this. Don't blame God for things that others have done. Like, don't blame God for the things that others have done. How many of you agree by raised hand that life is difficult? Let me help, right? Life is difficult. How many of you go even further to say life is unfair at times, right? Many of us would say life is unfair. And the reality is, as we think about this, it is very easy when things come into our lives, because life is difficult, and sometimes it's unfair. Um, I teach my boys that all the time. I say, guys, life is just unfair. And that's why it's such an amazing thing to have God in your life, because you can deal with unfair. God's going to straighten it all out at the end. Isn't that awesome? I mean, whatever's unfair right now, he's going to straighten that out. And so right here in this story, we learn that as Naomi is blaming God, there's a truth that we can learn here. It's so easy to blame God. 18 years ago, um, one of our sons, our third son, his name is Peyton. Um, we didn't name him after Peyton Manning. Everybody asks me that all the time. It's not after Peyton. We just, we just like the name. And so um, Peyton was totally normal. At two, he contracted a virus of some kind, and uh, he went from totally normal to totally unnormal. I mean, he couldn't control his arms, his muscles. It was like he had, you know, some cerebral palsy, although, you, you know, you're born with that. And the doctor said, well, maybe he's got a late, you know, early something or other. And, and I said, no, no, let's keep checking. And so we checked. And for two years, we were checking to find out what was wrong with our son. And to this day, he's 20. He can't read. He can't write. But he's a great kid. He has taught me so much about what it means to be a man and a husband and a father. And I remember when my wife and I, we were going through it. I mean, two years into this, it was hard. I mean, I had to feed him. We had to bathe him. We had to wipe him. It was really hard. We found ourselves on our knees in our living room. And as we're there on our knees, it was so easy to blame God. It was so easy to say, God, hold on a sec. I think there's a contract here. I mean, the contract reads, I serve you, you take care of me. It's the contract, right? I mean, that's how the contract goes. And somehow God broke the contract until I realized that life is hard and life is unfair and things happen. And you know what I can do? I can trust God. And so on our knees, my wife and I, and for 18 years we've been trusting God for every step of the way with this son of mine who's six foot one, 260, because he's had steroids his whole life. And I'm telling you, if you try to take him on, you lose. He is huge. I mean, really, really strong. And we learn, don't blame God. So the story goes on. And all of a sudden, Naomi is faced with reality. Her husband dies. Her sons die. That's difficult. In a crowd this size, I know some of you probably have lost loved ones. That's difficult. And when you look at your own life and you're evaluating your own life because, you see, we have to someday stand before God. And you don't do that as a group. You don't do that as a family. You do that as an individual. And so, men, let me talk to you for a minute. Do some evaluation today. I mean, this is a safe place. Appleton Alliance, what a safe place for you to evaluate your life and to say, you know what? Are there there some things in my life that I just need to draw a line on because good things happen when... And and ladies, maybe some of you are thinking, you know, I need to do some self-evaluation in my relationships and my marriage or my parenting, whatever it might be, and you just want to draw a line. In fact, here comes principle number four, or here here comes truth number four, that every once in a while, we just need to face reality and realize it's not working. Like that attitude isn't working. 
Like that anger that you have, it's not working for you. That bitterness that you're holding against somebody, that doesn't work. A sense of greed or arrogance, emptiness, loneliness, complaining. How many of you know somebody who's a complainer? Many of us do. That doesn't work for you. If you're a complainer, it doesn't work for you. Some of us feel like people are ignoring us, and some of us feel like we've gotten ourselves into a place that we don't know how to get out of. Some of us, some of us have moved to Moab, and we need to move back, right? And so we learn this principle that we need to face reality, and facing reality is a really important thing to do. And so that's exactly what happened in the life of this family. They begin to think about moving back because Naomi heard that back in Bethlehem, since they'd be gone for 10 years, back in Bethlehem, um, God started providing for the people there because they were his people. The Israelites were the people of God, and he starts providing for them. And Naomi and Ruth hear about this, and uh, they, they make a decision that they're going to go back to Bethlehem. What a great decision. Here's truth number five, if you're writing this down. As we think through necessary endings and good beginnings, truth number five is walking in God's will is where you're going to find God's provision. You want God to provide for you? I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about courage, encouragement, faith, um, you know, the ability to withstand. If you want God to provide for you, the best thing you could do is to walk in his will. Now, some of you are thinking, well, I don't even know what God's will is for me. Well, let me make it really simple. Here's God's will for you, all right? Ready for this? Here's God's will. All he wants you to do is to take the next right step in your life. That's it. See, and many of us were like, well, I don't even know what the next right step is. Well, if that's what you would say, I would say you're probably not listening. Because God wants to make it very clear. We're not playing hide and seek here. God is not trying to make life difficult for you. He wants to, in your life, to help you to figure out, if you're in high school, what that next step is for you. If you're single, what that next step is for you. If you're married, what that next step is for you. Because all you need to do is take the next right step. See, I don't know the future of my life. I don't know the future of my son. Uh, none of us know the future. What we do know is that there's a God who is the Alpha and Omega. That's about right where the church ought to say amen, right? He knows the front and the back. He knows what's coming up, and what he wants to do is lead us, and all we have to do is take that next right step. That's God's will, and then he'll provide for us, and we learn that right here. And so they consider going back to Bethlehem, and so she talks, Naomi talks to the daughter-in-laws. They're from Moab, and she says, I'm going back to Bethlehem. You girls stay here. I mean, this is home. Your family's here. You know everybody here. Um, you know, if you want to worship Chemosh, he's here. And, uh, and one of the girls, Orpah, says, I'm staying. Hugs Naomi, kisses her. They cry a little bit. Love story, right? They cry a little bit, and Orpah runs off. Ruth says, no, I'm going with you. Ruth saw something in Naomi's life. Ruth saw a woman who wanted to get past her circumstances, past the pain in her life, and wanted to follow God and wanted a necessary ending in order to have a great beginning or great things happen in her life. And so Ruth makes this decision. So here's truth number six. Here it is. Endings begin with a decision. Beginnings begin with God. 
See, again, God won't change you without you wanting to be changed. And so what you need to do is make the decision or take the next right step. You need to decide that, you know what, that attitude, I'm going to give that up today. You need to decide, I'm not going to behave that way in this relationship any longer. You need to decide, you know what, I'm going I'm to draw a line in my singleness. I'm not going there. You need to draw a line. And that comes by way of a decision. And when you make a decision and you draw that line, it's a great opportunity for a great beginning because good things happen when... And we see that right here in the story. So they move back to Bethlehem, and while they're there, uh, you know, incredible things take place, and Ruth begins to have a conversation with her mother-in-law. Now, see if, you, if this sounds familiar, okay? I'm going to read it for you. It's in Ruth chapter 1. If you've been to a wedding, you probably have heard some of these words. It comes from Ruth chapter 1. So Ruth says to her mother-in-law, because she wants to follow her to Bethlehem, not only because there's food there, but she wants to follow there because she wants to pursue God in her life. And so she says this, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me ever so severely if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. And we learn principle number seven. Here's truth number seven. You realize that you don't relate well to God apart from his people. You're not going to relate well to God without his people. I get asked all the time because people in the community know me up in Dayton, Ohio. It's not a very big community. And uh, I get people asking me all the time, hey, do I have to go to church to be a Christian? Do I have to go to church to be a Christ follower? And here's my response. So if you're a teenager, listen carefully, all right? Because this, this might help you a little bit, right, with your parents and all that. Uh, people ask me, do I have to go to church to be a, a Christ follower? And my answer is no. You get to. You get to. How many of you would be honest enough to tell me today, by raised hand, that you've heard of a story of somebody who God did amazing things in their life? Either there was an answered prayer, or you saw some strength that God gave them, or they made a decision in their life, and things got really much better for them. Even though the circumstances may not have changed, they got better on the inside, right? How many of you, by raised hand, would say, I know a story like that? Can I just see your hands? Raise them up high and hold them up really, really high, because I want you to look around the entire auditorium here. This is amazing. Look at all the hands that are raised. You see, when you come together to worship, here's what happens. You get to worship God. That's the exhale. And then you get to look at his word. That's the inhale. That's what worship is. It's exhale and inhale. And you get to talk about the stories. You get to share what God is doing. So if you're struggling, you can hear people say, you know what? God has done amazing things. Or if you're doing really, really well and you know somebody's struggling, you can say, hang in there. Keep taking the next right step because good things happen when... That's it, you know, and that's why community is so important. Do you realize in the Old Testament, God would reside in the Holy of Holies, right? And everybody would come to the temple to worship because God was in the Holy of Holies. And then we get to the New Testament, and Jesus, you know, he's sent to earth, God with skin on, and he says, I have a new covenant for you. You know what the new covenant is? The new covenant is that when you surrender your life to God, and you invite Jesus Christ in as Lord and Savior, he actually will deposit the Holy Spirit in your life. When I lived overseas, there was an Indian guy who I was sharing faith with, and he was a Hindu. 
And he would say to me, God is in you? And I'd say, yeah. The Holy Spirit's right here. And from that day on, he started calling me God-man. I'm not sure that title works for me, really. But it's true. God lives in you. And as you recognize God living in you, you recognize that you need the people around you. So we come together to worship and experience God, and you relate to God far better when you're with the people of God. Now, some of you say, well, can I worship God in the, in the park? Yeah, you can. Can I worship God in a hike? Yeah, you can. Can I worship God eating cheese curds? No, I don't think so. <laughs> they're just not healthy for you, but they're awesome, right? And so we learn here that you can relate to God best when you're with the people of God. So they move back to Bethlehem, and things begin to happen for Naomi. Spoiler alert, Naomi meets a guy. Ruth meets a guy. Ruth gets married, and they have a great life together. Good things began to happen in Ruth's life. And while they're in the conversation, as Naomi goes back to Bethlehem, everybody's like, man, where have you been? It's been 10 years. Welcome home. And, and Naomi is really upset because of all the things that have happened, never mind the loss of husband and, and sons. And we learn lesson or truth number eight. Here it is. God can handle your disappointments. Isn't it great to know that we serve a God who can handle our disappointments? God knows what we're struggling with. He knows what you're struggling with. It's no wonder that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, come to me all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens and I will give you rest. You know what rest is? It doesn't mean that you escape your problems. Rest is actually better than that. Rest is when you recover. It's when you collect your strength. It's when you're refreshed. It's when you're calm and you're patient. That's even better than your circumstances changing. My wife and I have seen that in our lives as we've lived with a son who struggled for many, many years. And you see, as we think about this in our lives, we need to understand that God can handle our disappointments, and we see that. See, when you move to Moab... God knows, and he wants to help you to move back. He knows that you've experienced some pain and some decisions. You see, God can handle your bad decisions. He actually still invites you to come back and says, you know what, you can't run too far from me. If you come back, good things happen because good things happen when... So they get back to Bethlehem, and life begins to change. But they didn't know it was going to change. You know what I find interesting? And here's, here's truth number nine. Spiritual maturity isn't trusting God, is trusting God's invisible hand. You want to be a real spiritual person? You want to be a person who is mature in their faith? Trust God's invisible hand. It's easy to trust God when you see it right in front of you. I mean, that's the easy part, right? To be able to say to yourself, I trust God and I don't know what tomorrow is going to be like, but I'm going to trust him for each step. To know to yourself, I don't know what the future will hold in my relationships and so forth, but I'm going to trust God every single day in my life. See, mature people of faith are willing to trust God's invisible hand. It's called the providence of God. God has this worked out. And he has your best interest in mind. Because good things happen. Say it with me one more time. When bad things end. Let me ask you two questions and I'm done. Question number one. What do you need to walk away from today? 
What do you need to walk away from? An attitude, selfishness, blaming God, whatever it might be. There is no safer, better place to do that than right here. To just say, God, I choose today. And when you make that choice, he begins to transform you from the inside out. Here's question number two. What bad in your life needs to end? It's not because God is keeping some list and he's waiting to just hammer you. It's because he wants to do great things in your life. And when you walk away from that in your life which is not pleasing to him or which is not putting you in the best place, that hurts his heart as much as it hurts ours. So let's try that. I want to invite you to stand all over the place. Would you just stand with me right now? And I want to give you the opportunity, whether you want to leave your eyes open or whether you want to bow your eyes or heads, it doesn't matter. The truth is, it's really about you. I don't care if you came with somebody or not. This is really a decision that you can make. And maybe you just want to draw a line. Because good things happen when bad things end. God, I just pray that you'd be with every person here. Thank you for this opportunity to worship. Thank you for Appleton Alliance and for all these amazing people who live in this community. And I pray that you would do great things as we make decisions. We want to walk away from the things in our lives that trip us up, from the things that are not pleasing to you, from the things that cause us not to experience the good hand of God. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Great being with you.